This is the Fedora Chronicles Network. This is the Fedora Chronicles Radio Show, number 78, and I'm your host, Eric Renderking Fisk. This time on the show, John Pike and I talk about, well, the State of the Union and the realm of diesel pump. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. President Washington began this tradition in 1790 after reminding the nation that the destiny of self-government and the preservation of the sacred fire of liberty is finally staked on the experiment entrusted to the hands of the American people. For our friends in the press who place a high premium on accuracy, let me say, I did not actually hear George Washington say that. So I'm in the middle of, of, of getting ready and closing everything out and closing my thousand windows that I have open and yelling at everybody. Hey, turn down your internet there. Get off your devices. I'm talking to John Pica. <laughs> I just did the same thing. <laughs> I love because I, I love it because I gave them the, the preemptive. I wanted to confiscate all the devices and have them here in the room for when they start talking. And they all looked at me and they are like, no. And then my oldest son says, Mom, you're in charge of the house. Do I have to do that? <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, because she is. She she really is. I mean, she allows me to to pretend that I'm in charge every once in a while. So just to keep things interesting. That's <clears throat> pretty funny. I think what's even funnier is that I'm willing to admit it. Yeah. I, you know what? I think any guy who's been married for any length of time. It has no other choice but to admit that. So I got all the windows. I got all the windows closed. I got the door closed. So now we can get down to the business of... Do, do we want to insert the, the, the Hail to the Chief song right now? Or or do we just want to do it right now? Do we just like want to do it acapella? Yeah, no. Insert it. Da, 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 There's a little audio marker. So we wanted to start off the show um, after the pre-show banter with talking about the state of the union of diesel punk, which is a, 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 a topic that's very passionate for me. I'm a very passionate man when it comes to this topic. Um, what do you tell think? us? Oh, wait, tell us, Mr. Fisk. Tell us, Secretary Fisk. <laughs> why are you? Why are you passionate about this topic? Well, I'm going to tell you right now. While I'm sitting and speaking to the American people, I'm going to tell you right now. I did not have inappropriate relations with that rubber chicken. I didn't tell anybody to lie, not a single time. I think the thing is that it was um, one of the things that I have noticed recently is our numbers are growing in all of the groups, all of the clubs uh, that we started. And um, it really sort of started with somebody had asked about this other group that um, no longer exists. And people were like wondering, what, what, what happened? How come, there's, how come there's no super group anymore? And one of the things I had said is that we sort of realized that there really shouldn't be one super group that one person could blow up. It, what it should be is a whole bunch of small, smaller supergroups that is the supergroup, as it were. And I think that this is working out nicely because you can actually see what other kind of like special flavors of diesel punk people are really into. And you get to see, um, it's, not, it's not like it's a horse race or it's a competition, but the thing is, is like it's a great gauge to actually see what people, wh what people want more of, as it were. And I think that it's like after everything that has happened over the past couple couple of years with um like and I don't want to I don't want to blow up the internet with saying this but diesel punk misappropriation where people claim to take things that are diesel punk and and relabel them as steampunk and then uh I sort of have this philosophy that we we should all just really sort of get to get along and help each other because if steampunk grows diesel punk grows as well cuz the if the whole slash punk thing is it's all um different nuances of the flavor of like chocolate ice cream does that make any sense like steampunk can be just plain chocolate and diesel punk is like forbidden chocolate if you know what i mean or dutch chocolate or whatever and we we really shouldn't be you know 
I, I don't think that there should be any fighting or anything like that. But it is interesting to see who's into what more than anything else. And I also yeah, think, you, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, you know, talking about the the demise of the supergroup and <clears throat> kind of seeing these independent nations springing up and there being kind of this loose federation. You like that? Yes, um, yes. I, I, I thought of that analogy long and hard today. Right. Um, but but seeing, yes, the numbers are growing in, in all of the groups, which is fantastic, but they're not growing at the pace that I would expect. Ha- knowing the count, member count that were that was on that super group, right, and it leads me down a, a path of thought that I think those numbers were fake. I what fake numbers on 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 a on a group age? I'm shocked, shocked to find out that those numbers might be fake. It, it was fake. This I can tell you. What makes you, what makes you think that? <clears throat> because. Diesel punk is such a small niche. And, you know, we, I, I think there were like 24,000 Yeah, it was people. a huge number. It was a huge number. Huge number. And, um, you know, our, our podcast is averaging about 15,000 downloads in a month. Sure. That, that's all of the episodes combined. What You know, what is the real number on that? I, yeah, I don't know. It, it's hard to tell because, you know... Uh, as well as I do, that podcast recording, uh, podcast reporting is difficult and sketchy at best. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you, you we, you know, I get the raw numbers from my host at Podbean. Yeah. But that 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 just is the people who listen to it on that app. Yeah. Um. And and I have no idea of knowing how many people actually listen on Stitcher or iTunes or Google Play because there are no metrics available. Dirty little secret to the rest of the world. If you're into podcasting or thinking about it, there's really no reliable way to gauge what your audience is. It's a it's a guess at best. Oh, and any numbers that anybody throws out on you, unless they're actually, you know them and you know them well, they they all throw out BS numbers. And you have these, um, this industry, this, this, this Smurf industry. I know it sounds crazy, but the thing is, is that if you're a webmaster, then you've heard of the phrase Smurfing. Whereas you will actually hire a company that has a whole bunch of people who got nothing better to do and they just join groups and they post random stuff in these groups to overinflate. You can actually buy, fo- did you know you could buy followers on Twitter? You can buy. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You you absolutely can. <clears throat> and and there there's uh, legit ways to do it through advertising and promotion. And then there's not so legit ways to do it, like uh, the company that uh, a lot of celebrities in Hollywood have been using, yeah. uh, Z- Zamudi. Was is that the name of it? It could be. There's there yeah there are a lot of yeah. them out there. <clears throat> yeah, and, and you know this whole list of celebrities have come out, and you know they bought all their Twitter followers. Yeah. But that being aside, um, we're very niche still genre. And when when I'm seeing, you know, 22, 23, 24,000 people in a group, but I know that when we're posting in those groups about the Diesel Punk podcast yeah. and the Fedora Chronicles, I, I get the feeling that the majority of people still aren't listening. Uh, and, and they're they're like, oh, uh, you guys have been around for how long? And exactly. I'm just now hearing about you. Yep. And and so that that continues to reinforce to me that the the community is much much smaller than certain rulers who have been dethroned would have you believe. Yes. Well, and <clears throat> I think I, I think one of the states of the Diesel Punk Union today is kind of a. A normalization or or an adjustment back to reality. Yeah. I think there's also another sense, whereas, um, and we've we've actually talked a lot about this when it comes to Ottens and Piecraft, whereas what have you done for us lately? There's a lot of that going on where a lot of us have been sort of like looking at these people who are sort of like the pillars of the community. And they seem to think that they always will have a place at the table. Um Look, if you haven't said anything in nine years, um, 
I, I think that it's about time that we start sort of like tapping them on the shoulder and say, I think it's, I think it's time to get off the, uh, the dance floor. And I know it's just a hobby and all like that. And there are people who are going to come and go, but the people who sort of like coined the phrase diesel punk, um, and, and we still, and we talk about this a lot. We keep referencing to back to their original definitions of, and meanwhile, Larry Amnett is doing incredible work with these condensed articles about what is diesel punk and the different styles of diesel punk. Um, he did like a, a the third one, a, a, like a couple of days ago. It was the one that I think it was after Gothic diesel punk. Do you have it up on your screen? About deco punk. Deco punk. And the thing is, is that, yeah. and I wish that Larry had sort of, um, uh, sort of a, a, a gone after this further or was more to the point on this. If we could do it all over again, I think that Deco Punk should have been the name for Diesel Punk. I agree. That that was the, the initial phrase that I searched for. Yes. And, you know, I, I like and I think on, you know, the next roundtable uh, when Larry and Daisy are with us, we need to have. Larry expand on this, and and that's the magic of the internet, right? Yes, is that uh, we we give give a voice to those, uh, and he can expand on on that and and his thinking behind it. But I really like where he is going in taking what was kind of laid out before us before, and uh, take not taking it in a different direction, but refining and. You know, almost reimagining it in a little way. Right. Uh, you know, I, I like that he seems to equate that um, dystopian diesel punk with the gothic punk. Yeah. Um, and the the Ottens hopeful autisian diesel punk. He's embracing the term deco punk. Yeah. I like that. And 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 you know, I, I don't want to say that Larry has given us permission, but. I, I like to say with his blessing, I've started changing my performance promotional material and started using the label Deco Punk. Yeah. Because no. it is a very accurate description of what I do on stage. Yes. Uh, more so than the, the Gothic Diesel. So um, I, I kind of like that, you know, we're, we're embracing those terms a little bit more firmly. You know, even as early as a year ago, we were we were talking. You, Larry, and I were talking about how we felt like it was important not to splinter the genre right. with additional definitions. And I, I think you put it best when you said, "You know, diesel punk is how we fight the war, and deco punk is why we fight the war." Uh, yeah, I, and, I, I actually wrote it down and I actually put it on a post-it note. Um, um, diesel punk is where I go to work and how I go to war. Deco punk is why, period. It's, it's, why I, yeah. it's why I do. It's like the thing is, is that deco punk is this ideal that I'm fighting for. And it's this it's this beliefs. It's the thing is, it's like it's, it's like this utopia that we were promised and never happened, but we're still fighting for it. Diesel punk is the reality, the nuts and bolts of deco punk, I think, and um, and I think that it's that it's that it's important. But the thing is, is that it, the issue is, is that we are trying really hard. Like you and I, we were talking about this. I'm not sure if we're ready to really talk openly about what's going on, as far as like the who, what, where, and why. But I am trying really hard to get a panel going for a convention. It's it's not the biggest convention for pop culture, but it is it is a huge convention. And I am doing everything I can to get this panel going and this um, sort of like this this on the road version of this is diesel punk, the rant that I wrote and what is what is diesel punk and why it's important, especially in this in this culture. Um, and I'm still waiting to hear back from the people who are involved in the, in this in in this convention that that we want to perform at. Um, and look, I'm not asking for any money. I'm not I'm not asking for anything. I'm not literally. I mean, I will pay my own way. Just give me the time. Give me the hour to perform my this is diesel punk seminar, as it were, with a panel and have a question and answer period after that hour. I'm, I don't think that I'm asking for a lot. And I think that and there are some people who I think have to be on this panel and we can go through the entire gauntlet of, but the thing is, is that the, all the people who I think they need to be on this panel with me and you, they belong to our groups. 
our supergroups groups. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And just so that you know, Eric, this this convention that you're referencing is the second largest in the United States. Yeah. Um, third largest in the world. So it's it's a big big deal. Right. And um, you know, it's something that I've been working towards for the last five years, trying to uh, do the same thing. And I think you know. When we started working together a little over a year ago, that was a, a huge step in showing the organizers, hey, there, there may be something here. Right. And, you know, I'll tell you, part of, part of our obstacle there is, I found this out, that one of the programmers or, or heads of programming doesn't consider diesel punk to be a separate genre. He considers it to be steampunk. Well. That, that all that all retro-punk or anachro-punk genres that we see as separate entities, he just sees as one. They're all steampunk. And, you know, we had talked about maybe that was true among some of the different groups and, and, you know, uh, uh, organizations out there. But then to hear him actually admit that to me, I was was shocked, but then it made a lot of things make sense. Well, this is getting into a little self-promotion here. Within the next couple of days from when we're recording this, I have, I have um, restarted Women of Retropunk, where I'm doing profiles of women in the retropunk community, both steam and diesel punk, that I think they deserve attention because they are doing incredible work. They're, and they're doing the work that is defining the genre. Perfect example is that I'm about ready to publish um, the first one in a long time, Amber uh, O'Doyle Culp. And the work that she does at Kiss Designs is absolutely, totally phenomenal. I think this is Hollywood movie quality material that she's doing, but she's also doing it in a variety of, of sizes for women of all different kinds of shapes across the, the gamut. It's one of the things that she addressed in the interview, whereas... Everything is just so geared for women who are size two or size one or size zero. What about the everyday woman who, you know, who loves retro punk, but she doesn't have the, the, the time or the energy to, to go on these strict diets and these exercise machines to get themselves um, into these, these outfits and, and costumes? She's doing incredible work. She deserves to be promoted. She deserves the, the world to know that she's there. She's out there. And I think that what we should say at um, at DragonCon is that, uh, you know, you can, whatever, I can't change the way you th- think or feel about diesel punk and where it belongs. We can all agree that it, it belongs under the umbrella of retro punk, whereas t- turning back the calendar in fashion and style only, because what we're seeing coming out of the fashion industry, we don't like it. We don't want it. We're shunning it. It's something that this convention needs to sort of embrace. The science fiction fantasy style costuming element is sort of bleeding into current fashion because it's what people want. It's what people really want. And I'm seeing a lot of other groups that are into retro clothing, retro style, that are also growing exponentially. And that, that, that's, that's a movement that I think that we, needs to be respected and, and addressed. And the thing is, is that pop culture, you know, science fiction, Marvel, Star Trek, Star Wars, is starting to bleed into the fashion industry because that's what people really want. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. And, uh, well, here's, here's the good news, Eric, is that, you know... <clears throat> I've been preaching the the diesel punk gospel for six years now right. with the with the diesel punk podcast and going to conventions and going to pop cons and doing panels diesel punk one on one which now I'm calling it what is diesel punk um, and and doing my live performances and billing it as diesel punk deco punk you know my book a diesel punk pulp adventure novel. You know, every chance I get, I'm using the terminology and using the phrase, and people are starting to come around. So, case in point, um, in just 15 days, I will be performing and lecturing at Anacrocon in Atlanta. Now, this is a con that Larry and I set out to get booked at um, five years ago. 
when when we fir- when we first heard about it. Um, and I don't know how many years it's been around, but as a straight up retro punk con, it's the oldest out there. Yeah. Um, you know, there's steampunk, you know, steampunk dedicated cons that are probably older, but Anacrocon is, has been around for, for quite a while. And it's taken us five years for them to get their attention. You know, the, the only, at the time, you know, that we first approached them, we were the only English speaking diesel punk podcast out there. And, you know, uh, you know, our pitch was, Hey, you guys need, to, to, to let us be represented there. You know, we have, we have a voice, we have a place at this table. And, and it took five years to convince them. But this February, I'm there. I'm going to be recording, broadcasting live, performing, and doing three panels. Um, a podcasting 101 panel to teach people how to do what we do. Right. Um, an Unleash Your Superpowers panel or workshop actually, where I teach people how to do really simple magic that looks like superhuman powers and cosplayers love. Yeah. This <laughs> and then I'm doing what is despunk? Yeah. Which, which is a performance panel and, and you've never seen it. Eric, no, I have I not. Opened up with, with many of the moocher and I close with uh, my performance of Mac, the knife in full regalia and um, in between, I talk about the tenets of uh, diesel punk, what it is, you know, how it differs from steampunk, and then open up with questions. And, you know, I did it the first time, like five years ago, at uh, a con called GMX. And the, uh, the, the uh, panel programming organizer said, this is the single best panel I've ever been to at any con, That's, and yeah, and that that yeah. was huge. That was a huge endorsement, and uh, you know, slowly but surely, I'm getting to spread that gospel around, and um, hopefully, in September, Labor Day weekend, you and I will converge along with maybe some of our other cohorts, yeah, if we can uh, make the arrangements happen, and and you know, really have a true diesel punk presence. And I'll tell you the other part of the problem is with with this particular con we're talking about. Yeah. Um, the the organizer that I'm, I'm mentioning that you know says I you know it's all steampunk to me. He is one of the people who is holding on to the 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 original vision words written printed pages or whatnot of of Pycraft and Ottens and. And Pollock and and a couple of other people that he he named as as the makers of diesel punk that I've never heard of. I know. I, I'm telling you. Yes. And, and you know, I'm like, okay, I, I get I get the Ottens and Piecraft thing, but who are these other people you're talking about? I I don't know these people. And and if I don't know them because we're in the community and we. We are the voice of Diesel Punk yes. on, on iTunes and Stitcher. I mean, we're the only ones out there doing what we do. Right. And if we're not familiar with the you know people who are supposed to be movers and shakers in the genre, then I I I don't I don't know what that says. It, to me it says that they're they're not in the diesel punk genre. They they must be doing something else, right? And maybe they're in the steampunk community. Maybe they're in the the cyberpunk, and and you know because certain people just lump it all together in one bucket. Yeah, there's not not that distinct no distinguishing nature. Or maybe they were maybe they were early you know early voices, early creators who have you know did some great early work, but I. You know, if if you're not talking about, and you know, stepping outside our bubble for a minute, if you're not talking about people like you know Stuart Anthony, and if you're not talking about Bard Constantine, and if yeah. you're not talking about um, uh, Tony Snipes, and you're not talking about uh, Dan Cooney and and Paul Martin, uh, Paul Roman Martinez, um, if you're not talking about uh, Georgina Elizabeth, then then you know, you're missing out on some of those creators. If you're not yeah. talking about Holly Gonzalez and William Jackson, then then you're not 
cued in to the diesel punk community. No, not not and, in the slightest that, bit. Not in the slightest bit. And and that concerns me that that there's someone out there who is determining what will and won't be said or presented, you know, about diesel punk when you know, I don't know. Maybe I'm ranting a little bit and sounding a little bit do i sound frustrated i'm a little bit frustrated no you don't you don't sound a little frustrated you sound a lot frustrated and the thing is is that you you are adding a voice to my frustration that i have had and it was just like i'm hearing my words coming out of somebody else's mouth the issue here's another here's another issue that i have here whereas i was contacted by somebody who wanted me to put up a banner for their convention for free on the Fedora Chronicles main site in one of the revolving ba- banners. And I said, well, that's great. I will bring, I'll bring the show with me. I'll bring the, the recording equipment. I'll, I'll do interviews. I'll do all kinds of stuff. Um, I'll mention at the end of the, 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 the podcast. Um, yeah, I, I, just tell me where, where and when. And he was like, whoa, 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 slow down, slow down. I, I just want you to, I, I just want you to promote the, the con. I, we don't we don't want you here for a panel or anything like that or do your podcast we we just we just want you to promote our our, our convention and I'm kind of, I'm, I'm like <laughs> I'm good enough to have your ad on my website for free and on top of that you 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 won't even comp me an admission ticket <laughs> you know there was a local college that had, that had also asked me to cover their convention. They had Walter Koenig at the convention. Um, and it was like, and the thing is, is like they wanted me, first of all, they wanted me to advertise for them as well. But on top of that, <laughs> they want me to, you know, um, you know, pay, not only pay my own ticket, but also they weren't making enough money at the door. They wanted, they wanted to know if they, if I could contribute to pay Walter Koenig's fee, <laughs> his speaking fee, which is pretty substantial. Um, and, and the thing is, there's an element of this, whereas is like, you have these freeloaders who have it in their head that, well, you did this, you did this free thing for this one person. So you have to do it for all of us. Cause that's, that's only fair. You need to give back to the community. You need, you need to, you need to give me the same freebies that you gave to somebody else. Well, how do you know that they're freebies that I don't understand? Um, you're frustrated. I'm frustrated. They want us to move the mountain to them, but yet they don't want to give us a place at the table. Well, and, and let, let me, let me just throw this out there. If you're a con, if you're an event organizer and you want us to advertise and support your con, absolutely. We'll do it yeah. when you, you book us as a guest. Absolutely. Look, look, I'm going to be at Anacrocon, and I've already started the press um, machine over the next 15 days. Yeah. If people aren't sick of hearing about Anacrocon on this podcast, on my uh, Tales from the Flipside uh, video podcast, which is syndicated, by the way, through graphicpolicy.com, which has millions of users – if if you're if you want to promote your con that way, hey, all you got to do is pick up the phone, call me, let's work out a deal. Yeah. Call Eric, let's work out a deal, and we'll we'll promote the heck out of your con. We'll even guarantee you a positive post con review <laughs> in print. Of course, I mean, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, if I'm why gonna, wouldn't we, right? If I'm going to be there, it's going to be awesome. Not to sound full That's of myself. Right. But I mean, the thing is, is that listen, you 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 get the Fedora Chronicles radio show um, live and in color, right? It it right before your eyes. What what more do you want? I mean, I'm a horrible singer and dancer, but hell, shit, I'll do that for you too. But it was just like, <laughs> but I mean, I'm not. I'm, well, I'm obviously not as good as you, but I mean, it's there's there's this sort of like and Harlan Ellison had said something about this and. Um, when he used to do on the sci-fi channel, he used to do um, on the sci-fi buzz show, he used to do like a commentary, two or three minutes. And he also spoke about this in in the documentary uh, Dreams with Sharp Teeth. Whereas you think that artists and performers uh, 
and writers and 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 bloggers and podcasters um they think that because our content is free that it's all like we'll do everything for them for free whereas it's like if you were going to go to abc news and and ask them hey listen we're having a we're having a uh, a convention uh could you give us like a free commercial during the super bowl they'd laugh at you and the thing is that it's like it's it's you know the thing is is that look you have bills, right? You, you, you have, you pay for advertising. You pay for advertising in, in the local newspaper. They have bills. They have people that they have to pay. They have, they have to pay the electricity to, to, to keep the machine running. They have to pay a certain amount of money to buy the, 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 the audio board and the laptops and the monitors and the microphones and the mic stands and the external hard drives and the Bose uh, external speakers and, and all of this. Um, you know, it's not easy. It's not cheap. And the thing is, at some point, the thing is, is that, listen, if you want to hire us, hire us. It's okay to ask for quid pro quo. So, and the thing is, is that, listen, and, and, and we'll, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll bring the fire. We'll bring the heat. All you have to do is just have us over. Yeah. Well, and, and here's, here's the great thing. All right. So th- we had not intended to go down this, this line of uh, discussion, but let's talk about it real quick. Okay. Um, you know, I, I promote what we do to cons as value added. And and here's what I mean by that. You know, these celebrity people that they bring in, and, and I know this because I was, you know, I work with so many cons and help them book guests um, as well as be a guest myself. You know, we had um, Ron um, Glass, you remember from Barney Miller oh, yeah. and Firefly at Indie PopCon. And he was there for two days to sign autographs and to do one Q&A panel, $10,000. I don't doubt it. And and the the autographs weren't free. Of course not. Um, you, you, you had to pay for them, you know. Uh, you know, he wasn't giving away his autograph. So you, that, so he made money on top of that $10,000. Now, what did he – and I can say this because he's no longer with us. Right. What, <laughs> what did he actually add in terms of ticket sales to that convention? Was there anyone who woke up one morning and said, oh, my God, Ron Glass is at Indie PopCon. I need to go buy a ticket right yeah. now. Yeah. Out of out of the 2,000, 2,500 people that showed up, um, no, I guess it was more than that, close to 10,000 people the first year. I, I would say less than one half of one percent actually were there because he was there. Sure. Um, so when you when you take his fee and juxtapose that against how many actual tickets and revenue that generated, it, it doesn't even compute. Yeah. It, it makes it makes no sense. Right. Financially. And the reason why cons bring in these big celebrities is to create, you know, a a, a an attendee, a guest experience. Right. Um, but those those celebrity guests don't add any real value to the convention. Sure. So here's where I come in, Eric. I say to a convention, I say, hey, listen, I'm not a big celebrity. Yeah, I've I've produced over, you know, 10,000 live shows. I've performed in front of millions of people. Yes, I've done all that. I've headlined Las Vegas, and yes, I've had my own show off-Broadway, but you don't know who I am. Um, and unless you've listened to the podcast or seen the, the videos or or been to one of my shows or, or read my book, you, you probably don't know who I am, and that's okay. But, but here's what I do. I'm a professional MC. I'm a professional entertainer. I'm a three-time champion of magic, a two-time Houdini award winner. I've appeared on every major television network there is, MTV Spring Break. My credentials go on and on and on. Right, right. So, you know, so here's my pedigree. Here's what I'm bringing to you. It's going to be quality. It's going to be polished. It's going to be professional. And I'll come in and I'll add some entertainment events to your convention. Because you want to give your guests something to do after the dealer room closes. Yes. But you don't. But you don't necessarily want to send them home. So I will produce some events to keep them there and to keep them engaged. Yep. I'll MC your contest, your main stage events. 
I'll do all of that for you. And and I'll do professional panels and, and workshops, proven professional plan. And on top of all of that, I'm going to bring my own sound system. So guess what? You don't have to worry about renting a sound system for your con. I'm going to provide it to you. Oh, and by the way, I have my own light rig that's uh, portable and, and travels. So we can do the lighting too. And oh, by the way, my video cast is, is uh, syndicated through graphic policy. They have about 188,000 unique visitors a week. Um, and the Diesel Punk podcast, we're, you know, we're averaging about 15,000 downloads a week. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll promote your convention on all of those networks, plus social media, you know, probably about 10,000 impressions through social media, through the various different pages, profiles on Facebook. Twitter, Instagram, etc. We'll, we'll, we'll promote it the three weeks up to the event. We'll, we'll cover it live with, with live streaming yeah. on video, on Facebook and YouTube. And we'll, we'll follow up with a positive review on, on our blog, either, either you know, on the podcast or through Graphic Policy or the Fedora Chronicles, wherever. Sure. We'll post a positive review. How much is that worth to you as a con? And yeah. and guess what? All I'm going to ask from you is you cover travel, hotel, give us a vendor booth, and a very small honorarium in comparison. Yeah. And when I say very small, when you look at you know the the C listers like Ron Glass asking for ten thousand. I'm going to ask for all of those value added things that I bring. I'm going to ask for fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars. Now, in my opinion, the, the immense value that I just laid out there, a, a con or a festival, in my opinion, would be crazy not to want to do that. Oh, and by the way, if you can't even make $1,500 or $2,000 work, not a problem. I've got advertising sponsors that I work with that will help cover that fee. You just cover hotel, travel, and give us a vendor booth to sell merchandise. Yeah. And and if they can, if they don't want that, I, I I don't know what I don't know what else I can do. You know, my whole thing has always been Eric, as as an entertainer, as a an event producer, wherever the venue is, whatever the venue is, my job is twofold: is one to help sell tickets, and two to create the best possible experience when those ticket holders get there. Right. You know, whether, whether it's a bar or uh, a theater or a convention or, you know, a civic event, my job is to make people aware, to get people there, and then to give them a great experience when they're there. I and that's the value add that you and I both add right. to a convention. And so I think any convention that doesn't jump on that is is crazy, to be quite honest with you. But that's just my opinion. And those are the opinions expressed by John Pica and not necessarily held by our sponsors or affiliated uh, parties and, and franchises. We're only speaking for ourselves and speaking for myself. Uh, I've been going to science fiction conventions since 1987. I want to say 86, cause, but I don't think the first one that I went to really counts. And, I think, and the thing is, is that I know what makes a convention great. I know what makes a, 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 a convention work, and I know what makes people say, wow, I can't wait to go back to that, that convention ever again. I had the greatest time of my life. I also know what it's like to be riding home and say, I'm never going to go that. I'm never going to go to another convention again. I'm never going to go to their convention ever again. You want to talk about unprofessional? I will tell you about unprofessional. And the thing is, is that when you accept somebody's dollar for an entrance, and the thing is, it's open for, you're going you're gonna to charge me like what? Uh, 50 bucks. We'll just say 50 bucks. And your doors are going to be open from 9 o'clock to 6 p.m. And then you're going to have huge chunks of time where nothing is going on up on the stage. You have nothing planned from, um, let's let's say, 2 o'clock to 3 o'clock. Or, or the last convention that I went to at, um, I think it was the Heinz Convention Center in Boston. And they had this huge gap where they had nothing planned from, from, from 1 o'clock to 6 o'clock because the guests 
plane was late. It was a guy who plays Julian Bashir on B- D- uh, Deep Space Nine. Because his plane was late, they had nothing going on from, I think it was one to four. He had three hours. And I looked at the woman who I was dating at the time. She um, eventually became my wife, Carol. She's in the other room. And the thing is, I looked at her and I says, do you just want to get the hell out of here? And she said, yeah, everybody left. So when the when the main guest showed up, there was nobody there. No, everybody was gone. Because the thing is, is like they didn't plan anything. They had nothing else. I don't want to say that. I'm not, I don't want to say the Diesel Punk podcast and the Fedora Chronicles is going to be filler, but we'll, we'll be filler, I guess. is a, I can't think of another, you know, a value-added event because the thing is, is that things happen. And it, it was so unprofessional. They had nothing else planned. They had nothing else going on for those hours and people left. And the thing is, is that people don't go to the, that brand of convention anymore. I think they folded after that because that happened one too many times. And the thing is, is that when they say, and, and, and when we said, like, hey, other people had said, hey, we're, we're from a publication such and such and so and so. We do these and we'd like to talk about the nature of making Boston-based comics. They couldn't be bothered. Oh, no, no, we got it. We got it. We can't, you know. And it's like, why would you say no to that? Well, now you can say no to it because you don't have a convention anymore. So, and if we sound like sour grapes, then, well, that's too bad. Because the thing is, is that as a, as a convention goer, and, and when you shun people who offer something to your convention goers, especially during those dead hours, you're only slitting your own throat. So, and we had so many other things to get to. <laughs> well, <clears throat> let's, let's touch on them real quick, because State of Diesel Punk Union. Yeah. Um, so, we, I, I, I asked the question... Um, on Diesel Punks on Facebook, uh, you know, wh- what do people want to he- hear us talk about? And one of the one of my friends, Blake, who who actually goes to the cons with me, he's right. one of my uh, henchmen. Um, he mentioned still the lack of the use of the word Diesel Punk in Hollywood. Yes. and and he mentioned the the car magazine that used the uh, term yep. a couple of months ago, and I had forgotten about that. And um, you know, I, I want to say to Blake and to everyone who, you know, is looking for Hollywood to start using the diesel punk term. Yes, they're not yet. However, things are looking really, really good for our genre. Yeah. And it is it is reflected in the Academy Award nominations. Now, the last time we spoke, Eric, Guillermo del Toro had won the Golden Globe for Best Director. What we didn't know at that time was that his film, Shape of Water, was going to end up being nominated for a record-breaking 13 Academy Awards, including Best Picture, including Best Director, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor, um, and uh, uh, a bunch of others. Yes. 13 total, which is remarkable. Uh, you know, one of one of our recent podcasts, you know, Larry said that, you know, science fiction and fantasy is disrespectable, that the, you know, science fiction and fantasy doesn't win the big Academy Awards like Best Picture. Right. Well, it could happen. It could happen. Um, so Hollywood is is a, is honoring a film in our genre. Yep. And that's huge. Whether they use the term diesel punk or not. People are looking at that aesthetic, and and you know I've got people who have asked me straight up, hey, what, do you, what can you tell me about this movie Shape of Water? I I I've seen the commercials and I've seen the previews, and it looks like it's you know retro, and and you know it looks like uh, the Rocketeer, and I'm yeah. like, yes, that's exactly right. Go see it, support it. Yep. Um, and and, and so we are making strides, and and the good thing is. There are advertisers now who are starting to use the diesel punk, deco punk terminology. Barnes and Noble was the first one on their blog last year yeah. to recognize deco punk as a genre. Yep. Um, the the car the car um, magazine. But now here's where the term is starting to come into common usage, and this excites me, Eric. Yeah. Um, Board game, tabletop game, and RPG game developers are actively using the term diesel punk. Yep. Which is ironic when you think about it because the term was actually coined for uh, a tabletop RPG. Um, and whether you credit that to Anders Blix or to uh, Pollock, it, it, it's irrelevant. But 
you know, people are coming back and they're using that term and we're seeing that term used to market comics and people are starting to instinctively recognize the diesel punk aesthetics in gaming and in graphic form in comics. And I'm seeing it becoming more and more prevalent and the term is popping up more and more in that um, marketing uh, of those commercial products, which gives me a lot of hope. And, you know, I remember Larry Emyet asking the question, do we really want Hollywood to define what diesel punk is? And, you know, that that really, that question when he asked it, I guess that was about, what, six months ago, maybe yeah, seven yeah, months ago, yeah. kind of slapped me across the face a little bit. Because up until that point, I thought, yeah, this, this would be great. This is what diesel punk needs. But then he asked that question, do we want them to really be the ones to define it for, you know, the masses? Right. And the short answer to that is, no, I don't think we do. No, not at all. I want them to continue pumping it, you know, creating. I want them to continue to see the value, and I want them to continue to honor with Academy Award nominations, which, by the way... You remember the prediction I made about Blade Runner 2049? I sure did. I said, if if it doesn't get nominated for an Academy Award for sound design, it is a Travis. It is nominated for two categories in sound design. I think that's awesome. It should be. But Yeah, yeah. So I want Hollywood to continue making and, and recognizing, but do I want them to put the label on it? I don't think I do. Uh, but you know, it's sort of like it, it's great when it's an underground mo- movement when it um, when it actually goes mainstream and we become complacent. That's I mean, it's like every movement, every movement at all, when it becomes mainstream and and it, it becomes this big huge fad that's on the cover of Time and Newsweek, and it, and and you're you know you know the movement is dying when. Um, uh, your grandparents or your in-laws get into it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, or when Disney establishes a a ride or a, an attraction dedicated to it. Yeah. Um, like they did at Disney World with uh, their steampunk attraction last year. And when, you know, I, I remember when that article came out, and we'll, I'll have to go back and reread it. I forget what it's called. Uh, what they called it, but um, it's an attraction they have down in Orlando, which is Disney, Disney's interpretation of what steampunk is. And let's face it, Eric, once Disney says this is what this is, that's pretty much what it is. <laughs> it's sad. It's so sad and true. It's it's so sad. So. And, and so... You know, I think about that, and I'm just like, you know, Larry was right. I, you know, I don't think we want Hollywood to to define this. I think we can define it, and we can be the ones that point to what they have produced and say, yes, this is our genre, this is our jam, and this is what we're going to hold up as, uh, you know, diesel punk and 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 diesel punk models. Speaking of diesel punk models, there you go. Early diesel punk. What do most people consider to be the first true diesel punk property in pop culture? Jeez, you know what? Um, I'm actually... In in our circles. Oh, in our circles? I think it's going to be Raiders of the Lost Ark. Big gold star for Eric hey, Fisk. I'm also reading my show notes. <laughs> <laughs> and what did we read today? Steven, Spiel- Steven Spielberg has confirmed that his next film is for sure. Yeah. Indiana Jones 5. Yes. And I will, I will be the first uh, to say this. Um, it could be the best sequel to Raiders of the Lost Ark since uh oh last crusade last crusade and people people are still going to hate on it because that's the fad now that's the thing it's you don't it's it because it's it's a it's a a new sequel to something that you've loved for years you automatically have to hate it to prove how uh legitimate your opinion is because well i don't like i don't like just anything that has the label of blank on it um no, I, I think that it's I think that it's an amazing thing that they are going to do yet another Indiana Jones movie. But I think that 
Uh, and there are parts of, I mean, l- listen, I- I'm an apologist for Kingdom of the Crystal Skull because the thing is that it, it hit everything that I love about the, the ancient alien lore. And, and Dude, that's it. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I love Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. There's only one scene in that movie that I wish had been cut. Yeah. And that's Mutt swinging through the jungle on the vines with the monkeys like he's been doing it his entire life. Everybody feels I, the same way. Re- Everybody feels the same drove way. Drove me crazy. Yeah. Um, it's and it's not a good scene. It's and it was not it was not well made at all. Period. And I don't know why they have to throw in the Tarzan sound effects with the with the with the yell, the Tarzan yell. I they didn't have yeah. to do that. They did not have to do that. And and here's all they had to do. Because because using your imagination as an audience member is sometimes better than them actually showing you. He could have been thrown from the vehicle. He he, you know, hits the vine. He grabs hold of it to stop him from falling. He sees the monkey swinging. That's it. That's and all he you cuts. had to cut. And the next thing we see is him swinging out of the jungle back onto the thing. That's all you had to. We see. didn't need to. We didn't actually need to see it happen. Here's, to go, oh my God! Here's a, please. Here's, here's here's another here's another example of how they could have saved this movie and made it a better movie with editing. All you had to do was in in the nuke the fridge scene. All you had to do was have Indiana Jones lock himself in the fridge, and then you see the atomic bomb go off, and then cut to the Silkwood shower scene. Um, and that's it. You didn't have to have. That's all that you had. You had two or three minutes that were wasted in the movie for a cheap laugh that fell flat. All they had to do is cut to him locking. Yeah, because if yeah, people had to understand that that was the thing. You know, back in the uh, early fifties, is you know, if there's a nuclear explosion, lock yourself in a refrigerator and you'll survive. A lead-lined fridge. That's yeah, yeah. But that's why that was funny is because everyone knows that that's ridiculous. Yeah. And probably the people who told people to to do that knew uh, this won't work. This is ridiculous. But at least it gives them peace of mind. You know, oh, we've got a lead line fridge in our refrigerator. We'll be fine. And so that's what made it hilarious. Right. Is that even in the movie you see on his face. He's like, this won't work, but I have no other choice at this moment. Yeah. Like, and then what, what he's surprised as hell that it works. Uh-huh. And that made it funny. Yeah. But if you don't know the context of that, you, you're just like, that's ridiculous. That would never work. Well, of course not. That's why it's comedy. But here's my question, Eric. Yes. I, I love Indiana Jones. Yep. Uh, as a matter of fact, I watched um, Last Crusade again two yep. nights ago. Yep. Uh, thank God for Hulu and Netflix. Right. Um, of course, I have them on Blu-ray, so I guess that doesn't really matter. Exactly. But, exactly. You know, there's there's something about that convenience of flipping through the channels <laughs> and going, "Hey, you know what? I think I'm going to watch this again." Yeah. Um, but 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 you know, I, I watched. Um, you know, I, I love Indiana Jones. It is my second favorite film franchise sure. of all time. Sure. After Star Wars, but okay. I'm. I'm asking myself, do I want to see a fifth Indiana Jones movie? Do I want to see Harrison Ford return to play that character? Now, I was all over it when there was rumors that, you know, uh, Chris Pratt or um, uh, what's the other guy? Um, uh, why can't I remember his name? The, the, kid who's uh, play, who, the kid who's playing Harrison Ford's character in the new Star Wars movie, Solo. Well, you know, I didn't even hear rumors that he was being considered. Um, it was uh, Chris Pine. Uh, well, Chris Pratt from you know uh, Guardians of the Galaxy and Jurassic World was right. was the front runner. Yeah, and we actually saw him play Indiana Jones in Jurassic World. Oh yeah, absolutely. And when I, when I saw that movie, I was like, "That's our next Indiana Jones." Oh, totally. And I was kind of on board with somebody else taking up the role because that kind of fed into that whole. Um, B-movie serial uh, feeling that Indiana Jones should have. And, you know, I kind of yeah. thought Indiana Jones isn't tied, doesn't have to be tied to one actor. Mm. It's like James Bond. Right. You know, um, there can be other people who play Indiana Jones because the the concept and the character is bigger than any one actor. Mm. But I just, Spielberg has said, no, it has to be Harrison Ford. Sure. And I'm not sure I agree with that. And I'm not sure I want to see, you know, 70-year-old Indiana Jones. Um, so I, I have trepidation about it. And and also because, you know, 
the timeline that it'll put Indiana Jones into the 60s or 70s, I, I don't know. I don't know. So we'll have to wait and see, though. Well, here's here's my approach to the, 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 the topic. Because the thing is, is that if it's been 10 years since Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, then we're well into the Vietnam era. Um, and I saw the post last Friday. I finally, because I, I knew that we were going to be talking about it. And there are a couple of scenes that are sort of Raiders-esque as it is. Whereas Daniel Ellsberg is stealing the documents from um, the basement of the Pentagon or whatever building that they were in. And there was this sort of like, is he going to get caught or isn't he going to get caught? That sort of like, and there was this thing where he was putting the documents into his suitcase, which was kind of like the sandbag and the idol scene in, in the beginning of Raiders. Um, you can make, here's the thing. If you're going to do Raiders of the Lost Ark sequel that takes place in 1965, it does have to be a psychological thriller. I don't think it could be an action adventure thriller like Raiders of the Lost Ark. You have an older guy, um, who is, he's, he's old enough to be an anachronism now, whereas it's, he's old enough to become an elder statesman parody of himself simultaneously. I don't think that you could have a 70-year-old guy swinging on a bullwhip bull out a five-story window and falling and landing in a garbage truck to make the getaway like he could 20 or 30 years ago. See, I mean, the thing is, is that after watching The Post, which is like it's a psychological thriller and it's about secrets, about uncovering secrets. Um, they could they could actually do a psychological thriller without a lot of action and still keep people at the at the edge of their state seats. You look at what Tom Hanks had did in Bridge of Spies. I think it's which is a, I think it's another Steven Spielberg movie. I, I was captivated by that. Um, I think that you have to address the fact that he's not he's not the same guy who could um, get his ass kicked on the tarmac with the with the with the with the propellers moving and stuff like that and and still come out alive fighting a guy twice his size. I think that you have to address the fact that he's he's older and and wiser. Um, I think it's nonsense to think that that he he you can't you can't remake Raiders of the Lost Ark with Harrison Ford at the age of seventy, but you can make Indiana Jones in a psychological thriller at the age of seventy. Um, and I think that you could go easy on the stunts, but the thing is, like, if you it, you have to have that 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 drama, that suspense. And the thing is, is that the thing that made Raiders of the Lost Ark so perfect is that, I mean, look, he, he, he did get bloodied and bruised. He did almost kind of like lose some of his fights. And the only reason why he won is by luck or by, by, by smarts, by his, by his intelligence. Um, and the reason why he lived is because he, you know, he actually read, <laughs> you know, the Bible where it tells you about, hey, what happens if, if you open the ark? And you look directly into whatever that that energy is, because uh, you can do that. You can actually have a guy who's very intelligent and he can't fight anymore, but he can figure out a way to um, like his dad did in Last Crusade with Sean Connery's character. Henry Sr. was able to save himself and his son with with an umbrella and a flock of birds. Who would have thought that that would have been an amazing and captivating scene? It's probably one of the best scenes. It's ridiculous, but it's 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 also it's it's amazing. Whereas it's like and after the birds, you know, take out the airplane, um, he says, "I just remembered my Charlemagne," and you yeah. know, and it was you could you could do that. And the thing is that it's like, but if but the thing is is that Shia LaBeouf, if he's going to be in the next Indiana Jones movie, he better get his ass straightened out real quick. So. Well, they've already said he will not be involved. I think the, they... the character will not not appear. Okay. So that, that fear aside. Yeah. Now, here's what excites me: is that it, it is Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. George Lucas is going to be the executive producer, and I know there's a lot of hate and fandom right. for George Lucas, and I've never understood it. No. I've never understood it, and I, I read these comments like, you know, we need to keep this man as far away from this franchise as possible, and and I, I don't get that. I don't understand it because – and maybe I'm just a Lucas uh, apologist. I, I think the man is brilliant, and I loved uh, – one of the things I loved about the Crystal Skull – 
is it was like this complete circle culmination of all of his work to that moment. Right. You know, American Graffiti, Indiana Jones, yeah. Close Encounters. You know, it had all of that. And it was just like this complete closing of a loop and um, an homage to their collective career. Yeah. And I loved that about that movie. But I, I guess we're in the minority on that. Yeah, and the thing is, I'm okay with being in the in the in the minority. I I, I really I honestly do, and it was because um, the thing is, is like I don't think I trust myself to be mainstream because I mean, <laughs> I who knows what I would do if I had the opportunity to to, to make it the big time. Um, but I, I think that you know, it's like there's I there's no, there's never been a better time to be a diesel punk. I I I don't I don't believe that there's ever been a better time. Um, and, I agree, and it's it's just it's really sort of exciting to to hear about all these projects that are coming up, and especially um, with all the news that's coming out about like the Shape of Water and all these other you know things that are coming down the pipeline for 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 uh, for Diesel Punk. Um, so the thing is, is that we have we have eleven more months left to two thousand eighteen. What else is in store for us in two thousand eighteen for the state of Diesel Punk? Well, I'll tell you, this is my, this is me putting on the prophet of pop culture hat. Um, we are, we are about to see the crest or, or the fall of the crest of the big budget superhero adventure movies. Mm-hmm. Um, Avengers Infinity War is, is the crest and, and we're on the downhill slide of that. So that means that movie studios are going to be desperate for new properties and new genres. And because uh, I, I don't know how much I can say about this, here's what I can tell you, is that a major uh, television studio that produces for Netflix has been out shopping literary properties. And they approached my publisher, Pro Se Press, the leading publisher of New Pulp. Um, and, and I only know this because my book was submitted as one of the books to be considered. And studios are going to be looking at Pulp Adventure. That's going to be, I, in my opinion, this is going to be the next wave. With a Doc Savvy coming with uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, with <clears throat> um, Billy Zane uh, producing a sequel to The Phantom. He's making it happen. He's going to finance the whole thing. And by the way, if you've not seen Billy Zane lately, the man looks like he's in the best condition of his life. Yeah. Um, he, he's on a new uh, short, a short film that uh, they're showing before movies for Coca-Cola. And the dude looks like he's in his mid-20s. Yeah. It, it's, I don't know what he's drinking, but it's, it's amazing. My wife is looking at me like, are you gushing over Billy Zane? I'm like, well, yes, I kind of am. Yep. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and so that's coming. And there's a, there's a rocketeer sequel on the way. What, now that's not going to happen next year. No, but all of those things are going to be a, an end result of the crest of the big budget comic book movie wave uh, ending. And so I think the biggest, and as much as I love the Marvel Universe movies, I do. I love the Avengers. I, I really do. And I love Captain America. And as much as I love those films, I, I'm actually anxious to see that trend kind of come to an end and to move on to the next thing. And I think the next thing is going to be retrofuturism, pulp adventure, a.k.a. diesel punk. Yeah. Well, I will tell you what I think that is in store for Diesel Punk. Um, I think I'm going to go in a different direction. I think that 2018, um, and I'm starting to see the trend in, in a lot of modern fashion where people are starting to take fashion, uh, fashion back to the 1920s and putting a fresh new spin on it. I wrote a couple of things about the fashion shows um, in Milan, and I was actually encouraged with a lot of the things that I had seen um, this time around where it's just a pullback to the sort of quasi pseudo paramilitary 1930s 
um, partisan look, which I which I am cur- uh, that is really encouraging. Uh, and I you also I didn't see a lot of ridiculousness um, that really caused a lot of arguments in the forums uh, from 2017's fashion shows. Um, and I think that we're going to start seeing a lot more people um, gearing up for a return of the Roaring Twenties. The Roaring Twenties Part Two. I think that's that's exciting. Um, and the thing is that it's like I, I I also seem to think that people are starting to also get into the, the the diesel punk counterculture, as it were, where people are starting to sort of become anti-authoritarian in, but in in a good way. People are looking at what's going on in the, in the world of politics, and people are actually starting getting involved and in not not buying what the media and the government is telling us. There's that aspect of diesel punk that I'm I'm I'm, I'm thrilled with. Um, and whatever happens, happens. It's going to happen anyway. So just stand back and just watch the ride. So um, hey, speaking of fashion, um, you turned me on and made me go look. Uh, Target is carrying this great line of clothes. Yeah, Goodfellow. Called Goodfellows. Yeah, dude, awesome quality. Yeah, it is great styles, good cuts, and and great great quality. So uh, you know, if you guys want to get some some good looking sharp digs on the cheap because they're affordable. Yes, uh, amazingly affordable. Target, Goodfellow, um, go check them out. Absolutely. And you know, hey, you know that they're good when we're singing their praises and they're not even a sponsor. That's how good that that that, that they are. So that's right. Anyway, that's right. John, we we are we are way past time. We're off of our of our target. <laughs> we were going to keep it under an hour, but no, we had to talk about the politics of conventions. Um, well, you know, you know that's that's how we do, right? Um, that's how it always and happens. And here's the good thing. Here's the good thing. All of those of you listening to this podcast, you're listening it. You're listening to us in your car or mowing your lawn or exercising anyway. And, you know, so we can go an hour, hour and a half, two hours. Heck, if we want to do a marathon someday, Eric, which we could probably do, we could probably do an eight-hour marathon. Which, you know what? You know what would be really awesome? You come on up here, or I go down there, I bring the rig, and we do an audio commentary on some of the giant movies in the realm of diesel punk. That would be awesome. You know what? Yeah. That's a convention event. That really is. That is. Hmm. Hmm. All right. That's I th- see great things in store for the state of diesel punk in 2018. I know. The, the nation of diesel punk is strong. <laughs> so, all right. I'm gonna- we have made diesel punk great again. Exactly. Exactly. So, John, take us out. Well, hey there, guys and gals. Thanks for tuning in. And on behalf of Eric Fisk and the Fedora Chronicles and the Diesel Punk Podcast, I just want to say, until the next time, swing hard, swing often, and we'll catch you on the flip side. This has been the Fedora Chronicles radio show and a co-production of the Diesel Punk Podcast. You can find out more about us by going to our websites, thefedorachronicles.com and dieselpunks.com. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. You can find these links on our homepages. Be sure to visit our sponsors, Chester Cordite, Landron Artifacts, and the Trinity Whip Company. Also, check out the friends of our show, Penman Hats, and Reconstructing History. Once again, this is Eric Render King Fisk, signing off. And keep your chins up and your fedoras on.